0: Hello and welcome to the Transfer Window, the only podcast that brings you the news before it becomes news. We will bring you insight and analysis into all the issues you're talking about. On today's pod, we'll be talking Manchester United in detail, a window which is slightly puzzling, I think, just what the hell happened over the last three months. We'll also be talking Barcelona, Liverpool, Arsenal, Everton, and much, much more. I mean, McGarrion with me, as always, is the man described as transfer expert on numerous media websites over the last two or three days, Mr. Duncan Castles, who's been getting quoted quite uh, frequently. I'm sure you have all seen that, as well as, of course, this podcast. Duncan, there's only one place to start um, because it has been a very interesting and quite confusing recruitment policy in terms of Manchester United, and this has been the longest transfer window in history in time they've had to do their business. We have been talking since May about what Ole Gunnar Solskjaer had targeted with regards to positions. We've been talking about the targets that he had identified. We've been talking about the players that they have discussed in recruitment meetings with the likes of Ed Woodward, Matt Judge et al. And yet it took until the very last day and indeed the very last hours of the window until they signed four players, none of whom who Saul Shah identified and none of whom whom he asked for, none of whom who really fit the bill of what... Solshar had also said were his priorities. Um, it's our information and obviously we have been going through this window telling you uh, the updates and of course bringing you the news on United with the likes of Jaden Sancho and Usman Dembele um, and the pursuit of those two players, of course, neither of whom has been signed. and instead, Uh, They end up with four players, two of them right-wingers and aged 18. One, a 33-year-old striker who has only played nine games in the last year. Uh, And Alex Tellez, a left-back who, albeit is a very good quality player, but um, this whole cultural reboot philosophy that Manchester United have been promoting does not quite fit with Tellez in terms of his age or profile. Duncan, um, I don't think we have to say anything else other than the facts speak for themselves regarding the faith that this administration has in their manager.
1: Yeah, one window closed yesterday, the international transfer window in the Premier League to Premier League window. If We still have because obviously English clubs haven't had enough of the longest transfer window in the history of, of transfer windows. We still have a, a Premier League to Championship or below window and EFL to EFL window, which gives them another um, 11 days, closes on the 16th of October to, to do some more deals and try and rectify um, the mistakes that have been made in that general international window. Are you saying this is Ed Woodward's master
0: plan, Duncan, that he tends to recruit heavily from the EFL?
1: (laughs) I don't think Ed Woodward has a master plan, uh, regardless of how many times he likes to tell us about his master plans, regardless of the big interviews he gives selling the story about a cultural reboot and about his um, wonderful recruitment staff who they've invested millions in, hiring and maintaining the biggest recruitment staff in world football, how they have these extensive lists of players, uh, hundreds of individuals. He told us he, he went through before they came to conclusion that Aaron Wan-Bissaka was the best right back available to them last summer. And Harry Maguire was the best central defender, um, presumably in the history of the game, since they paid a world record transfer fee for a man who is now accumulating mistakes at you know more than the rate of one per game. Um, the, he tells the stories about the plans but what, what you actually see is the kind of final um, day that we saw yesterday and as you point out, um, Manchester United went into this window with a priority of signing a right winger, um, they'd had their conversations with Uli Gunnar Solskjaer, they'd done their extensive recruitment, they'd come to the conclusion that Jadon Sancho was that player, they knew Jadon Sancho was available. They knew Jaden Sancho was ready to return to the Premier League if offered the right money. Um, And they knew Borussia Dortmund would sell him if offered the right money. 120 million euros was the the asking price that they had made essentially public. They also had a deadline for doing the deal from Dortmund. Um, They didn't believe Dortmund on the the transfer fee and they didn't believe Dortmund on the deadline. Um, And as you detailed, um, made a Bid, where actually the differential wasn't that great to the, the 120 million um, that, that Dortmund were asking um, in the final week of the window, but by that stage had aggravated um, the Germans to the extent where it was rejected. And um, by that final day of the window, they'd switched to their second target for the position. Someone, Lule Gunnar Solskjaer's agent, had uh, initiated contact over back in July, story we broke in the podcast at the time that um, Solskjaer had asked um, his agent to to find out whether Usman Dembele would be available from Barcelona and what would be required to do that deal. Um, again, they had months in which to set up that alternative and again, this is something that Woodward talks confidently about, is that, in their their recruitment strategy is such that they identify a player and they identify a second choice and a third choice and they work on them simultaneously. What ended up happening was on the final day of the window, they get involved in negotiations with the player and his agent. Um, it took them until um, after lunchtime to get a yes from Dembele uh, that he was ready to join Manchester United um, in on that final day. Um, and do it in a loan rather than a permanent transfer, which is what what he'd been asking for previously. They then go into negotiations with Barcelona who all along had said we do not want to loan this player unless there is an obligation to buy um, because he has two years left in his contract. We don't want to see him run down to a year of contract and you have him on loan without any commitment to purchase. If you prepare to make that obligation to buy, you can have the player. Um, The Take until late afternoon to get Barcelona position where Barcelona say, okay, we will let you have them on a single season loan with no obligation to buy. Um, but the player has to sign a new contract because we want uh, the value secured, which is a, a concept that Ed Woodward should be pretty familiar with, given that he's applied it to players like Marcus Rojo and, and Phil Jones, Chris Molling in the past, and, uh, and ended up with the problems. all aware of with those players. Uh, Dembele's agent and Dembele refused to sign that new contract with Barcelona which isn't really surprising given that they had essentially got themselves in a position of leverage where next summer they will be able to choose um, a destination or get a bigger contract out of Barcelona but they'll be in that powerful year to go position to ask them to sign a new contract. Agree a new contract in the space of a few hours on deadline day was always unrealistic. Um, Solskjaer then pushed Manchester United to do the deal regardless and buy the player, take advantage of the fact that Barcelona needed to raise cash on deadline day. Again, something everyone had been aware of. The price was negotiated down from what had been the original 100 million euros and got to sort of 80 million, 70 on the day, then to 60 to buy. Um, But the deal fell through, uh, partly because, as I understand it, Manchester United weren't prepared to spend £60 on their second choice, and secondly because Dembele and his agent um, didn't want to commit to a long-term contract in such a short period of time. So so what you have is yet another example, and, and we're not just talking this window, we're we're not just talking the last window or the previous window, you can go back window after window after window where Manchester United try and do these big deals at the very last minute and quite often make a mess of them. Um, either they get players they, that, that prove to be bad signings or they fail to get players and leave their managers in a difficult position going in into the season. Um, or deals don't happen at all, like the, the infamous David De Gea um, sale to Real Madrid, um, which we've talked about in previous podcasts. And it is a lack of homework. The, the message that comes through from people who work in the business and worked in the business for years and do these deals day in, day out, is the, the misunderstanding and the lack of preparedness from United and an expectation that a market can be operated at the last minute, by them deciding they want to spend money on certain players just does not fit with how modern football works. And you know, there are elements in terms of drawing up of legal contracts, they're they're slow about doing that. There's elements of chief negotiator Matt Judge not having the authority to make final decisions and commit to decisions, the Glazers getting involved in the process. But the the, the sum conclusion is the way Manchester United do transfers is horrendous and has left them with a weaker squad than they should have for the amount of resource that is available to them in terms of the money generated by their massive international fan base.
0: Well, we saw it in January this year, Duncan, when again, they clearly did augmentation in the forward department and ended up with Odin Gallo uh, at the last minute um a player who has featured very infrequently and uh, scored goals in the league cup and europa league but again um is not exactly what Manchester fans would call uh, a you know first choice player
1: yes Ian, and and as you say they've just replaced them in this window with a you know a, a high quality center forward um the kind of player that had they done in January, you'd say, yes, that's impressive. That's, that's really chasing down um, and, and providing Solskjaer with proper backup and in instant Cavani. Cavani has been available um, for months. He decided not to extend his contracts through the COVID period. So he was avail- out of contract since June. Um, that, PSG and Cavani knew he was going to be leaving ahead of that. He last played a match for PSG. In March okay you might want to save on um, on paying his salary substantial salary for a period of time by not hiring him immediately given um, the situation that uh, that football was in but certainly if you want to um, build a proper squad and if he is the guy you've identified as a as a centre forward to bring in to be an alternative to Martial sign him at the end of your Europa League campaign have him ready to go into the the squad and gain his fitness and work with the team and work with Solskjaer and be part of the squad for the Premier League season that they've started in abysmal fashion and get Igalo out um, because he's being signed as a replacement. Manufacture a way to move Igalo out so you get him off the wage bill and you have the player who's an upgrade in um, and done early. But even with players (laughs) where the player chose to go to them um, and where the player is out of contract and available on it and they knew he was available for such a long period of time, it ends up getting done on the final day.
0: I have to say, Duncan, that um, as someone who worked hard through this last window um, in my capacity as an operations consultant for football clubs, uh, all of my business was concluded by 9am yesterday morning And even then, that was only because uh, I had uh, a deal I had to do, uh, which I was given the deadline of 9 a.m. But after that, I was able to sit back. Okay, my phone was on. Obviously, I was looking at emails, et cetera, just in case something else came uh, that I needed to look into. But it was not the case that I was expecting to be doing any more business. And that's because the people I deal with, oh, what a surprise. They're actually very good at what they do. And so they do it um, early, and they do it in a very, very well-managed way. I can't imagine what it must be like for anyone who's been commissioned by Manchester United to work on a transfer and then be put under the pressure and told, no, no, we need him now, we need him now, you know, four hours before the transfer window closes. I mean, logistically, it's very difficult, um, as you said, legally in terms of contracts it's very, very difficult as well. And you've got all sorts of different elements which come into play, which actually you probably can't even agree and sort out until after the, the actual deal itself is done. Of course, which leaves your hostage to fortune with regards to things like image rights and bonuses, all of which can end up costing the club, I mean, literally millions of pounds more than they had budgeted for all because you decided to act on the last day of the window.
1: Ian, think about, this is something you mentioned, think about Ousmane Dembele, this deal. So they, they get agreement with the player um, early afternoon on deadline day. Um, they get further towards doing a deal than they had done. The deal should have been in place long ahead. Let's say they managed to, uh, Dembele's agent hadn't said, Um, no I'm not doing it on anything other than than a loan in in these circumstances and they got an agreement with Barcelona. Um, They'd have been taking a player, and probably the agreement would have been the 60 million buy, they'd have been taking a player with a notorious history of injury issues without the opportunity to give them a proper medical. Um, You talk about logistics, that's one of the fundamental logistics in any transfer deal. and and they placed themselves in these positions again 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 Radamel Falcon signed right after uh, right up against deadline on a on a, a deadline day i think they used deal sheet to do that deal again issue with taking a medical they're buying a player who had been exceptional but was recovering from an acl serious acl problem and and eventually took probably 2 3 seasons to get back to his level scoring again um you're handicapping yourself as a club and the way they operate. They tell us again and again that they want to bring a director of football in to improve matters, but they go into these important windows with Ed Woodward, Matt Judge, and their, you know, the, the recruitment staff that Woodward says is so superb, um, operating in a way that instead of buying Jaden Sancho um, to be a drop-in solution to the problems their coach has identified on the right wing. They end up buying two very talented young uh, wingers, uh, Amad Diallo and Facundo Alistri, um, Uruguayan and an Ivorian, uh, 18-year-olds, who play the same position um, and who... I do not think we'll be ready to play many games this season, talking to people who, who've watched their careers and say, yeah, these are, these are good signings, they have lots of potential, but they have to be managed the right way. And you're signing two for exactly the same position and the position you've already prioritised as one where you want to put an experienced player in. So let's say in January, they managed to get a uh, Jaden Sancho or a Dembele through. Where's the development path for these two young 18 year olds they've signed? Uh, in in their place, and not for unsubstantial sums either. We're talking about uh, combined transfer fee commitments of over €40 million Euros for these two players. If there's a strategy there, it is very hard
0: to see it. question has to be asked, Duncan, and it's one that I referred to in the introduction to this particular segment of the pod, and that is, where does this leave Ole Gunnar Solskjaer with regards to his authority in who comes in, who goes out um, and how his squad is uh, constructed um, because it seems very clear uh, that given um, the recruitments that have been made, um, given uh, the fact that he did not get the players he identified and also in light of the uh, defeats to Crystal Palace and then obviously the humiliation by Tottenham Hotspur, Last weekend, um, Solshar's position, at least from sources I am told, is currently under review. Under review means, of course, that you know they will examine the results in the coming month, they will examine results. And uh, if it's the case that Solshar cannot get uh, the team momentum and uh, get them winning football matches in the Premier League then he will be called to account with regards to his position. Now, we've reported in the pod on many occasions that United remain in touch with Murcio Pochettino's representatives. Um, They also have other options with regards to if they were thinking of uh, getting rid of Solskjaer. Um, That in itself for the Norwegian must be a worry Because as we know, football managers always look at what the club do for them in terms of backing them and knowing that in doing so, the buck stops with them with regards to results. Is it the case that Solskjaer could be someone who is on the sacking list, uh, as the bookies love to put it, in terms of next Premier League manager to go?
1: Manchester United have been interested in hiring Maurizio Pochettino for years now. Um, He was someone they talked to before uh, hiring um, Jose Mourinho. Uh, There's been conversations subsequently, there's been periods in which um, people close to Pochettino expected him to be offered the job and for him to come in and replace Solskjaer. And, you know, that's no great surprise given the long periods of bad results and performances Solskjaer has delivered um, during his time as Manchester United manager. He's managed to get out of them. He's had a few stays of execution and then gone on runs which I've have, have seen uh, some commentators saying everything's sorted, uh, they're playing the right way, you can see the progress, they're going to be competitive this season. We enter the season and they start with a 3-1 home defeat to Crystal Palace, in No, in a scoreline that in no means flattered Crystal Palace. A, uh, a win at Brighton where they managed to, to get a win from a penalty that was awarded after the final whistle where they were pretty comprehensively outplayed by Brighton um, in almost all statistics, I think, Ian, you all know better than me, but did Brighton hit the woodwork five times in that match?
0: It was, a, it was a Premier League record. Five times, yeah.
1: So they they could have lost back-to-back Crystal Palace and Brighton at the start of the season. Then they played their second Premier League match at Old Trafford, get a penalty early on um, to go 1-0 up against Tottenham and then are taken to pieces um, in a 6-1 defeat, uh, which could easily have been worse and which was well decided at, at half-time. Um, you know, it's, it's not hard to work out that no Manchester United manager is going to survive a sequence of results like that if it carries on too long and a sequence of performances like that. They weren't unlucky in, in any of these games. The luck they had was to get that result at Brighton. Um, obviously Solskjaer has been insulated because he's cheap, because he's popular with the support, because of his history as a player, um, because he does not cause conflict with the Glazers. So you know, we he's been presented with the opportunity to criticise the Glazers for not buying in this transfer market on a couple of occasions, and he's you know steadfastly refused to take that. In fact, uh, in his last press conference, he was asked if the relationship was bored and transfer policy was an issue in the early season results and he, he got visibly angry and replied no, it's not an issue at all. Um, so obviously for the Glazers, as we've talked about in the podcast many times, that combination, as long as you can get them Champions League qualification is great because it takes the heat off them, it's cheap, um, it allows them to control transfer policy through Ed Woodward. but. There'll come a point where the results are bad enough where the, you know, where where the, the chickens come home to roost, use the, the cliche, because if you employ a substandard manager and it's obvious that Solskjaer is a substandard manager, eventually you'll get substandard performances and results that the the clubs around you will go past you, so you won't get Champions League football. You're never going to compete for the Premier League title with that manager in charge. And then where the pressure comes back on the Glazers and Ed Woodward, they'll do what they've done in the past and sack the manager and start a new cycle.
0: Just to round this off, Duncan, in terms of Manchester United, where do we think the breaking point is in terms of Solskjaer's um, tutelage of Manchester United and what Woodward and the Glazers think with regards to we need to change? Because... He has had a good run at it now. He's actually had more understanding, more indulgence than other coaches have had since Sir Alex Ferguson retired in 2013. Um, is it going to be before Christmas if things don't go well? Because he has survived some very, as you've pointed out, some very, very difficult runs of results and and, and bad form already. Um I just wonder, I just wonder if he doesn't seem to me to be the kind of character who will crack and have a go at the people above him uh, and say, well, if I'd gotten support I had asked for, then, you know, we wouldn't be in this position. He seems to me to be the kind of man who will go quietly into that good night. Um, uh, But it it is still the the question of, well, first of all, When does the breaking point come? And secondly, uh, they must have someone to come in straight away to replace them.
1: I I think it's dependent on results, absolutely. For the reasons I've explained, they're happy to carry on with this process as long as they can get away with it, as long as they're doing just enough in the field um, to get Champions League qualification and the money that's uh, involved in that and to keep the supporters Sufficiently off their back, so I think results will determine this. One other um, thing, which I think will be a factor, is should they come to the conclusion that he needs to go. And remember, in previous um, dismissals, so David Moyes and Louis van Gaal, the decision that the manager was was ready to be sacked at a certain point. And I think Jose Mourinho too, that the sort of breaking with the club. Uh, and the preparedness that if if things continue to go wrong we will, we will change them was made quite early before it was actually instigated. So if you have a similar scenario where they come to the conclusion that this isn't going to work long term um, regardless of the desire for it to work long term and they start looking for alternatives and one of those alternatives Is offered another job or looks likely to get another job that might be something that provokes a change and i think here Paris Saint-Germain is relevant because um, your friend Tam Tuchel is under pressure Um, he has criticized the board over transfers ironically during um, this window he's been
0: always a bad sign Duncan
1: he's been publicly (laughs) reprimanded by Leonardo the technical director um, he is out of contract at the end of this season, so he's, on, he's in a difficult position regardless. Bad start to the French season. Um, so Tuchel, as a, as a manager, you should look for um, replacement uh, at some point in the next year. Pochettino is a, an individual who has had discussions with Qatar. Um, we told you in the podcast how he actually took time out to, to travel to Qatar during the early stages of his um, sabbatical um, after being put on gardening leave by Tottenham. Um, so that is a it, it's a job that he will be targeting and looking at and it is a, a candidate for. I think there are other candidates there. I think um, Max Allegri is a very strong um, contender for that job, would be interested in the job and of course Max Allegri should be a contender for the Manchester United job in terms of status and its history in the game. He is interested in, in coaching in England at some point, but as I understand it, has not had any direct contact from Manchester United um, during the period in which he's been available and on previous occasions when United have been uh, thinking about changing
0: managers. Well, as Big Tam will know, the uh, phrase in Glasgow is he's working his ticket, um, I think, in terms of um, taking the risk of criticising the Qatari owners. As we did discuss on the pod, and you guys all heard it last Friday, some of the biggest clubs in the world, all of the biggest clubs in the world, have suffered in this COVID-19 environment in terms of their income. And so money has not been readily available and to spend on transfers and indeed liquidity in every single football club from match to revenue, never mind anything else, has been badly hit. So uh, these are things which will affect the coming weeks and months uh, all over Europe and indeed world football. And we will keep you up to date on all of the developments. Uh, Barcelona, uh, let's go back to uh, the Catalan capital, Duncan, because apart from Dembele, they have been doing some interesting business, which we might not have expected, but at the same time, we might be able to explain in economic terms.
1: Yes. Um I think that, that um, confluence of Manchester United and Barcelona trying to do is Dembele on the final day of the transfer window is probably always destined for failure, given the uh, demonstrable incompetence of both clubs' executive uh, when it comes to transfers. Um, another good example, and, and this was also all going on yesterday, um, Barcelona were trying to do Memphis Depay from Lyon, which is one of the reasons that they allowed uh, the their position on Dembele to slip to the point where they would sell him for almost half of what they've been asking for him the previous day. But they were, they were also trying to move out Jean-Claire Tadibo, um, French centre-back who uh, can look superb um, when, when he's on his game in focus, but quite often isn't on his game in focus. They had offers all around Europe, um, including in England. Uh, Fulham were interested in taking him, but I understand he turned that move down. Um, He ended up going to Benfica as a replacement for Ruben Gias, now at Manchester City. Um, Went on a single season loan deal for 2 million euros with an option to buy for an additional payment of 18 million euros in a year's time, which is relatively cheap and. potentially good value if, if uh, Jorge Jesus can can sort Tadibo out and, and have him focused. But the most interesting part of this was that Barcelona had actually agreed to sell Tadibo to Benfica in July for a fee of 25 million euros, um, which Benfica were prepared to pay at the time, uh, only for Tadibo to turn the move down. So uh, there you see a club um, trying to do a deal at 25, not managing to get a player on board for it, having the money secured and then on deadline day, ending up loaning the player for just two um, and uh, allowing the, the club they'd agreed a 25 million fee for them, the option of buying them for 20 million um, at the end of the season. So um, that's the kind of stuff that was going on yesterday, um, an example of the lack of liquidity in the market. You were having loan proposals being made all over the place and a lot of clubs waiting for money to filter through. And again, Manchester United's failure to buy Jaden Sancho I think had a, had a big impact here. That money at least, you know, a third, perhaps half of it would have been recycled by Dortmund into new players and then would have filtered through the market via the clubs that they had bought from. Um, another example of a deal which I don't think you would have seen happening in it in a non-COVID context is Felipe Anderson's loan move to FC Porto, West Ham desperate to get the player out because of his high wages and because of um, some attitude problems which I'm told stemmed from uh, West Ham refusing to sell him to China in a previous window when he had a very lucrative contract offer to go there and, uh, and Anderson taking the, the huff at being kept at West Ham and the salary kept down. They loaned um, Anderson to FC Porto, um, a loan which benefits Porto in financial terms. That was agreed on Thursday between the clubs. Um, the coach of Porto then said, no, I don't want Anderson, I want a different." player um, and the deal was, as far as people at Porto were concerned, were off, was off at that stage. They tried to sign um, Pepe, winger um, uh, Gremio, Gremio refused to let him go. They had a go at getting Thomas Lamar, another deal which seems uh, incredible that the idea that someone who went for one of the highest transfer fees in football a couple of seasons ago would be available to go on loan um, to various clubs and clubs of FC Porto's stature they weren't able to do the Lamar deal, I think, over um, salary terms. And today, just, um, just in the last hour, I believe, Sound has said, OK, I need a winger. I'll take Felipe Anderson after all.
0: Some news also from Benfica, which ties in with this whole theme, Duncan, uh, with regards to how things are working in this particular economic environment um, regarding Bayern Munich
1: yeah it's, it's a good point. Um, you Benfica have loaned one of the, the stars of their youth team um, Tiago Dantas, um, a young midfielder to Bayern a uh, deal done on deadline day. Um, they quite a bit of mystery around that deal because they Benfica announced that they've given Dantas a new contract. Uh, before loaning him for a year to Bayern Munich and, and anyone who watches the transfer market will think why is a, a young star at Benfica being loaned to Bayern but loaned only for a season? Um, why would Bayern bother taking a player to develop him on Benfica's behalf and Benfica were saying there wasn't any option to buy included in the deal. I'm told that actually there was an option to buy in the deal quite a cheap price of around 10 million euros. Um, Benfica want to keep it secret because the fans are unhappy with it and they have presidential elections coming up, but they had to do the deal to get cash in because I think Benfica have been hit as hard by COVID as any club in European football. They were going to win the Portuguese title, headed for the Portuguese title before the shutdown. They came out of lockdown terribly, um, lost the title to Porto, sacked their coach, because of these presidential elections the president wanted to bring a big name coach in. They talked to Maurizio Pochettino, something we we, we explained in the podcast at the time. Um, they ended up bringing back their former coach, George Jesus, after a very successful period in South America with Flamengo. Um, Jesus obviously demanded a huge salary and a lot of uh, changes in the transfer market. He doesn't like young players, so they've ended up letting players like Tiago Dantas go, Um, Carlos Vinicius being loaned out to Tottenham for uh, far less than his value, Florentino going to Monaco again on loan for far less than his real value. the, their their policy, which they carefully developed of using their academy, putting players into the first team, seeing them succeed in Portugal, selling them for high prices around Europe, John Felix being the the arch example of that, has been essentially ripped apart by Jesus coming in, and that was done to try and solve the problems COVID had caused them and the and the problems on the field, and now they're allowing. Um, very talented young players like Thiago to go to Bayern, who, if my contacts are correct, isn't going there just to be a squad player. Bayern apparently um, intend to blood him in the first team this season, use him as a holding midfielder in the, in a squad that obviously has just won the German title and won the Champions League, which shows you if they rate him that highly, what, uh, what level of talent he must be.
0: Indeed, it does. And as we said, it's a, a whole new world in the transfer window in terms of how things are being done and how they will be done probably in the next two or three years, uh, given the way that football is being affected by COVID-19. Um, one club has received much praise for their business in this window is Arsenal. And also, we have to mention Everton, uh, which is convenient, Duncan, because you and I have a disagreement on who might be the most uh, influential, if not significant, signing of this window. Uh, I'm going for Thomas Partey, uh, who has obviously signed uh, quite late on on deadline day for Arsenal. But you've got your own candidate, uh, someone who joined Everton a few weeks ago.
1: Yeah, look, I think Arsenal have done very good business from a sporting perspective. I I think what they've done from an ethical perspective is dubious. Um, When you sack 55 staff members in August um, citing the economic impact of COVID and you then pay the full release clause for Thomas Partey, 50 million euros, and do other deals off the back of it and and give Partey a substantial contract to come, you're going to be open to criticism over that. Um, I think picking picking the best buys um, during a transfer window or just after a transfer window is a usually a hostage for fortune uh, moment. But I think Everton, we, we said in the podcast that what they've done is given Carlo Ancelotti players to go directly into the team. Um, ready-made, experienced players, not worried about resale value. And they've got an immediate reward from the the, the way the team is playing and the, the points they've gathered. I think one in particular has the potential to be an outstanding deal, and that's James Rodriguez, who they they managed to get for no transfer fee. Um, the his wages are substantial. I'm told they are over six million uh, euros net per season, so easily the highest earner at Everton. But they've got him for three years. If you you know, Push those wages out over the course of the three years, you're talking about a £40 million commitment. And you know, last transfer window, more re- recent Premier League transfer windows, we see mediocre uh, defenders being bought for £40 million um, before you even factoring the wages in. They've got a supremely motivated player who wants to prove a lot of critics wrong, who hasn't played much football over the last few years because of issues with managers. Um, and his start uh, has been exceptional with five games for Everton, three goals, three assists. And you, you have that kind of combination of player who's motivated, has something to prove, coming to work with a manager who trusts him completely and who he trusts, and having a structure, a team structure built around him. And I think that has the potential to be extremely productive for Everton this season.
0: Interesting you said, Duncan, that... Um... Everton are giving Carlo the players who can go straight into the team, which of course reminds me of one of Carlo's best stories about when um, Marco van Basten signed for AC Milan and when he, as a central midfielder, said, where do you like the ball put to you? Do you want it right foot, left foot, do you want it over your head? And he said, doesn't matter, just give me the ball and then turn away and celebrate because I'll have scored. So... Perhaps he's hoping and he's getting that from uh, Jimmy Rodriguez, as we like to call him, on the Transfer Window podcast. Um, I have to give credit to my son Aidan, who flagged up Thomas Partey to me in 2015 after his Atletico Madrid debut and said, Dad, you've got to look at this guy and, and, and market him to clubs in England because he is perfect for the Premier League. And that was five years ago, so... I've got to say to Aidan, um, you, you called it. Um, anyway, apart from that, uh, I think he will be a very, very good signing for Arsenal. €50 million euros is not really, Duncan, a huge amount of money to pay for a elite midfielder who is going to be a dominant and uh, very influential player in your team. Uh, we've seen players uh, who are not in that category go for more money than what Arsenal paid for Partey. Uh, of course, one of the things that Mikel Arteta is trying to solve in his team is the fact that they did not break up opposition play high enough up the pitch. Partey has won more than 61% of his personal duels with other players That's more than any other midfielder in the Liga in the last three years. I think that is very significant and that's one of the reasons why they have decided to invest that amount of money. Arsenal have not got the biggest budget in European football with regards to uh, spending money, but obviously uh, being able to dispose of Mateo Guendouzi on loan and also Lucas Torreira to Atletico Madrid as well, In terms of getting the wage bill down, that helps making this particular signing. And I do think that this is a player who is very, very much um, suited to the style of play in England and in the Premier League. Chelsea uh, were the biggest spenders, as it turned out, in the uh, division. Hardly surprising given um, the amount of signings and indeed the price that they paid for players like Kai Havertz and Timo Werner from the Bundesliga, um, as well as Hikam Ziek. And they had only one um, disappointment for Frank Lampard and that was uh, they did not manage to get Declan Rice from West Ham. It is our information that uh, West Ham's uh, fee for Rice was in excess of £60 million, which in the end proved just too much for Chelsea right now who have decided to postpone the pursuit of Rice. Although they remain interested in the player very much, um, they will probably go with uh, Kurt Zuma and Thiago Silva in central defence, whereas, of course, Frank Lampard's plan was to play Declan Rice in the middle of a back three initially. However, that interest could be resurrected in January, and if not, in next summer's window, when, of course, Rice will be a further year out of contract and West Ham may be more inclined to sell. Uh, Duncan, one interesting departure from West Ham was that of Jack Wilshire, a player who was once the darling of English football and indeed um, played uh, multiple games for England. and but who has effectively almost fallen off the radar with regards to playing time and indeed influence in uh, the game. What's going on there? Do we think it's just a a clash of personality or just simply the fact that uh, he's not managed to be value for money for David Moyes' team?
1: Look, okay. as you say, he's hardly played any games for multiple seasons now. It's no secret he has um, serious fitness problems. Um, he was fit- he's
0: claimed, Duncan, that he's been fit and ready for the last eight months.
1: Um, I, I'm sure he's claimed on many occasions he's been fit and ready. But when he's gone <laughs> into, uh, unfortunately, because he was a supreme talent as a teenager when he broke into the Arsenal team, unfortunately... You have repeated examples of him going to play uh, games, um, and, and a, a, a density, a volume of games, and the, the injuries recur. So, whatever the reason in the background, David Moyes did not trust um, Wilshire to build a team around and use on a on a consistent basis. He was being paid very high wages at West Ham. Uh, therefore, a uh, you know a pragmatic decision was made that. If the player's not going to play and he's costing us this much money, we will pay off a high percentage of his wages and allow him to go and explore somewhere else to play football and and remove that issue from the dressing room. Because it's never if you have a player of his status in the dressing room who is saying, I'm fit and ready to play, and the manager doesn't have faith in him and doesn't have trust in him and doesn't want to build his team around, it's, it's not a conducive working environment for anyone in that group. So the, the sensible thing is to move the player out. Um, you know, Interestingly, you have Manchester United again hanging on to Marcus Rojo um, against their will, you could say, but also um, I can tell you that, that there were offers for Rojo to move to Turkey. Um, he was prepared to go there. He was asking that Manchester United pay off his contract in similar fashion to West Ham United have, have paid off Welsher's Contract instead, United will keep him in the dressing room and we will see how much playing time he gets under Solskjaer this season and whether he can um, be used as a uh, be available uh, on a consistent basis and be used on a basis where it ma- makes sense to retain him in the squad, uh, presumably with a view to to trying again to sell him in January when he only has a um, six months left in his contract anyway.
0: And for our listeners who may not know this, the um, process of termination of a contract for a footballer is not as straightforward as you may think. Um, There's a kind of uh, agreed uh, result, which is that um, if both parties have decided that the contract should be uh, annulled, then the player receives 70% of the salary or thereabouts of what they're owed until the end of the contract. So therefore, you're being paid to leave at a very high rate, it has to be said. So Wilshire will be available to sign for any club because he is a free agent. But also available are players from the EFL and in particular, of course, championship clubs where the window does not close until October 16th. Now, it's interesting, Duncan, on the basis that, um, especially in the bottom 10 of the Premier League, uh, there has been uh, a definite market for uh, championship players to move into the Premier League because uh, there is obviously a potential for them to do well and to make the step up. Uh, This has been a concession to... Uh, specifically the Championship, but also to other EFL clubs, Um, with regards to the fact that their match tier revenue has been uh, completely wiped out by uh, the government ban on crowds in grounds. So they have 11 days now where I think we're probably going to see quite a scramble um, between Leagues 1, League 2, and also Championship. And obviously there will be some... Uh, upgrades in terms of players leaving championship clubs and going to the Premier League and vice versa, because of course, Premier League clubs can sell still to championship clubs. Um, In terms of the market, Duncan, it's an interesting, um, I don't know, kind of uh, an almost intriguing um, uh, aspect of this particular arrangement with one window closing in the international sense. And another in the domestic uh, being open for uh, a few more days. Can you see a lot of what, uh, things happening in terms of comings and goings? I think there's
1: some you know, there's some significant players who and and clubs who want to do deals. So you, you have um, Said Ben Rama at Brentford, um, who I would expect to be a Premier League player by the end of this additional window. I'm told that. Uh, Brentford already have an offer to the value of £25 million for the player, um, and they're looking to market him around uh, various Premier League clubs to see what the highest price they can get um, before that that last window closes. I think you also, I mean, we've talked in the podcast about Ismail Assar, um, who had interested Liverpool before they signed Giogo Chota who Manchester United have inquired about as an alternative to um, the now failed signings of Jadon Sancho and Usman Dembele. Um, my understanding is that they, what they propose to Watford is simply to take the player on loan. Um, as we told you on an earlier podcast, Watford want to, and believe that they can secure a substantial transfer fee for Saar down the line. Um, they'd be prepared to sell for a lot of money now or prepared to loan if there is a uh, an obligatory option to buy at, at, uh, at a substantial level in a year's time um, but not keen just to let him go um, to a Premier League club without guarantee of playing time um, but their financial situation is not great and they need to bring cash in and they've got a lot of other players they're trying to to shift out at present so there's there's room for Manchester United to try and, and and get something done there, and then Tottenham, having failed to upgrade their offer for Milan Skriniar, um, Inter just stepped away from that move and decided to to stick with the squad they had. They wanted to use the Skriniar money um, to uh, provide the majority of the cash to bring in goal Cante um, from Chelsea. Um, that. Uh, there was no improved offer from Tottenham in the, in the last couple of days. and uh, Tottenham are now looking at the Championship for a new centre-back. One of the players that they have identified as a possibility is Joe Roden at Swansea City. Um, I think it's an important deal for, for Tottenham because, uh, as we, we've told you all along, Jose Mourinho had wanted an improvement in defence. He's got a lot of other stuff on the market. We've seen um, Sergio Reguilón, a player that he said he was happy to come, but was not his priority, um, performing very well in the first games for Tottenham and, and the team are on a, a high. Um, if he can get a defender in that he's happy with who actually improves that defence, then you've got a pretty strong squad set up for him to, to work with through the, the rest of the season.
0: I think it's going to be quite a busy um few days in terms of those ins and outs uh, and also uh, as I said I think it's quite interesting that um, there's been this arrangement agreed between the leagues uh, where they're still wrangling over uh, an, an EFL bailout of £250 million uh, where Premier League clubs are not quite prepared to go that far um, whereas the EFL are... Effectively claiming that this is the least they are owed in terms of um, what they should be provided with in the current circumstances. Duncan, it's that time of the week where we do hero and villain. And um, actually, just by segue, one of uh, our, well, your hero is going to be someone who has already made the step up to the Premier League uh, from a championship club. And um is already providing some interesting results, it has to be said, in terms of his performances.
1: Yeah, Ollie Watkins uh sold um by Brentford uh to Aston Villa for an initial £28 million plus five million of uh, performance-related variables, a record transfer fee for a championship player. Um Brentford did a good job of marketing him and uh I'm getting a a substantial fee. Tottenham were interested, West Brom, uh, Fulham, Leeds United, also looking at that before Rodrigo Moreno was signed uh, from Valencia. Uh, It started well, five goals in six games for Villa, but the highlight had to be uh, Sunday's match against Liverpool, where he was um, instrumental in starting that 7-2 victory, which... He almost went into double figures. It was incredible the amount of um, chances Aston Villa had to score in that match. They so had a bit of fortune with deflections, but I don't think there was much fortune in their um, early goals and the way in which Watkins exploited the weaknesses in Trent Alexander-Arnold and Joe Gomez's communication and positioning on the field was was impressive. Um, and but if he carries on at that rate, I, th- I think he might be a hero a few weeks uh, in this transfer um, podcast season rather than just uh, just this week.
0: I think he's, they've got value for money there, that's for sure. Um, villain of this week on the Transfer Window podcast starts with a small bit of history. And that history is that dinosaurs were prevalent and indeed ruled planet Earth for about 165 million years. However, 65 million years ago they were extinct and many believe it was the falling of a meteor to planet Earth which caused a huge change in climate and then the dinosaurs became extinct as a result. Unfortunately for one of the only surviving dinosaurs, one who has been around for 30 years At both Highbury and the Emirates, and it can only be the famous Gunnarsaurus, the mascot of Arsenal, became extinct on Monday. We can only hold our heads and hope that Gunosaurus is okay, because apparently some bean counter at Arsenal Football Club decided that Gunnarsaurus was no longer worth paying to be the mascot of their club. Uh, personally I am devastated by this news, don't know about you Duncan, but I've met Gunnasaurus many times and I've found him to be a very friendly and indeed knowledgeable dinosaur uh, about uh, his club and indeed a good friend to the young Gunnasaurus fan club that he presided over as well at Arsenal. So my villain of the week is whoever is at Arsenal who decided that Gunasaurus was to be made redundant or extinct, depending on what you think. Um, I, I'm, still, I'm still upset about it, Duncan. I don't know. You know. Uh, did, did you ever oh, meet Gunasaurus? I, I haven't met. Gunnarsaurus I, I saw many
1: times but I mean, it, almost as devastating as when they they sacked their last football dinosaur for some Arsenal <laughs> fans I believe
0: And that's the thing, Gunosaurus lasted even longer than Arsene Wenger the dinosaur that you are referring to So uh, we say to you Gunnarsaurus you're welcome on the podcast anytime to give your side of this very sorry tale um, and uh, Yes, we will welcome you with open arms and indeed we'll try to find you a new job at a club that will value you more than Arsenal do. That has been uh, this edition of the Transfer Window podcast. If you want to continue the debate, whether it's about Gurosaurus, Soros, Watkins or everything else we've discussed about the closing of the Transfer Window today, then please get in touch You can do so on our social media channels, which are at Transfer Podcast on Twitter and on Instagram and Facebook. And as you know, we like to engage, so please do that. We are available on all uh, your favourite podcast platforms as well as on YouTube. Uh, You just need to search us on YouTube and you will find at Transfer Window Podcast uh, very easily indeed. If you've liked what you heard, and we know thousands of you do, of course. Please log on to iTunes, give us a five-star review, and as you know, that makes us easier to find, and it also increases the community. Duncan is at Duncan Castles on Twitter. I'm at Garbo SJ, and we are always open for you guys contacting us uh, about whatever subjects you want to talk about. We will be back later this week with more exclusive news, of course, uh, both on transfers and in football. Until then, I just want to say stay safe, be well, and thanks for listening.